0: Welcome to another episode of the From the Booth podcast. It is our NBA preview episode. We are going to talk NBA only on this episode of the podcast. Evan Ishen is my co-host. And Evan, this is going to be NBA only. And we've got a little bit of a surprise this week as we're going to do two episodes of the podcast this week. So we'll have the NBA preview today. uh, NBA getting underway last night with a couple of games and then in earnest with everyone else in action tonight. And then uh, we'll we'll kind of have another episode tomorrow where we where we tackle everything else going on in the sports world.
1: Well, you know this week is so big we couldn't possibly fit it into one episode. So we did the only reasonable thing we could do is devote an entire show to the NBA, which has to be one of the more anticipated seasons within at least the last five or six years. Cody, ever since Golden State went on that run. There's so much uncertainty, so much to unpack, and I think that's what makes this season more exciting than others. So if you're interested in hearing what and what we think about college football, the NFL, uh, check back on Thursday. That's when we'll have all that stuff.
0: Indeed, absolutely. But today we are going to dive into the National Basketball Association season getting underway last night. You had the Clippers knocking off the Lakers. You had the Raptors getting their uh, championship rings. And you had them knocking off the Pelicans in overtime. Uh, before we dive into those games, let's get our picks on the record. Evan, you and I have made you and I made these the other day uh, before the season started, and so let's uh, let's run through those, and we'll kind of weave some storylines and different things into that as well. Uh, in the Eastern Conference of the NBA, Evan, you have the. I guess I'll let you kind of reveal where you have your picks. But your number one and my number one are actually the same, and I thought we might differ here. But uh, go ahead and run through your one through eight in the Eastern Conference.
1: Okay, my one through eight in the East is Philadelphia at number one. I picked them to have the best record at 62 and 20. Uh, Last year, Milwaukee was the only team in the NBA to win 60 games. I think Philadelphia has a chance to be the best team in the league. Uh, there might be a slight hangover at the beginning of the year, given the devastating way their season ended and all the, is Brett Brown going to come back? And they lost Jimmy Butler, but they made a lot of moves in the offseason that I think will push them over the hump. Number two is Milwaukee just below Philadelphia. Number three, the defending champion Toronto Raptors. Number four, Boston. Number five, I have Brooklyn and then six, seven and eight are the Miami heat. The Orlando Magic, your Orlando Magic at number seven, and at number eight is the Indiana Pacers, who I wasn't quite sure where to slot them, but given that we're not quite sure when Victor Oladipo is going to come back, they brought in Malcolm Brogdon, which will help a little bit. There seems to be a lot of trade speculation swirling around DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, I think that they're going to struggle out of the gate until Oladipo gets back and then they'll make the late season push to sneak in at number 8.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's uh, I'll go ahead and flip over and do uh, mine in the Eastern Conference 1 through 8. I have Philadelphia finishing number 1 as well. I have the Milwaukee Bucks at 2. I have the Celtics at 3, the Miami Heat at 4, the Orlando Magic at 5, the Raptors at 6, the Nets at 7, and the Indiana Pacers at eight. So we have the same teams in the Eastern Conference making the playoffs, but slotted a little bit differently. I have the Boston Celtics at three. I think their addition of Kemba Walker is going to be big time. You're going to see just how important Kemba Walker is uh, as he leaves the Charlotte Hornets, who I believe they won 39 games last year. It was somewhere in there. And with Kemba Walker now moving to the Celtics, you're going to see the Hornets struggle and you're going to see that differential go to Boston. I think with uh, with Kemble Walker coming in, the Celtics are going to be a very, very formidable team. All of their best players are guards, so they're going to have to figure out what to do in the front court. They have Ennis Cantor and company. But uh, I, th- I like the Celtics as number three. And, Evan, you and I were kind of talking about is it just a two-team race in the Eastern Conference? I think it's just a two-team race in the East in terms of Philly and Milwaukee are probably your best chances to be able to make it to the NBA Finals, but after that, it's pretty wide open.
1: Yeah, it's pretty wide open. Uh, Toronto lost Kawhi Leonard, but they got 34 points apiece from Pascal Siakam, recent, recent Max guy, and Fred Van Vliet also scored 34 points, so... For those of you who are, or I should say, that wrote off Toronto as soon as Kawhi left, they were a really good team without Kawhi, and Kawhi only played 60 games, and that wasn't the only move they made last year. They made the deal with the Grizzlies to get Marcus Gasol, which gave them that veteran presence. Uh, Boston, the way things ended in Boston last year kind of soured me on them, Cody, with all the infighting and the Kyrie Irving stuff, and then Terry Rozier talked about how, how he was unhappy with his role, and and then they lost Al Horford. Like, Yes, they got Kemba and Enos Cantor and all that, but the way it ended last year, Cody, sort of left a sour taste with me in Boston. Uh,
0: yeah, no, that's completely fair, I, and I definitely think the loss of Horford is going to hurt them. He's an extremely important player, especially defensively. Uh, as a veteran, he is a, a, a really a, a top-level NBA player when it comes to veteran leadership, when it comes to interior defense. That's something that he's really going to add to that Philadelphia team that makes them very, very formidable. But, no, that makes a lot of sense. I just think with, with Kyrie out, with Terry Rozier out, you bring in Kemba Walker, who's a low-maintenance guy. He's not a, you know, I-have-to-have-the-ball kind of guy. With Brad Stevens, I think he's going to be able to fit kind of those pieces together and figure out how that works, but I I definitely understand that. I mean, there was definitely a sour taste left in the mouth of a lot of people with how that ended in Boston, and I definitely think that affects uh, what we see from them early on this season. I have them at number three. I had the Miami Heat at number four uh, with the addition of Jimmy Butler. They uh, shipped Josh Richardson over to Philadelphia in that sign and trade, getting Jimmy Butler. I really like what Jimmy Butler brings to Miami. I think Bam Adebayo at center is going to be able to really show what he can do in his second season. And I also think Miami is in position to potentially make another move during the season. If they if they can get out of the gate well, if they're playing well, I can definitely see Pat Riley making uh, some sort of trade or some sort of move to try and bolster that team. Just adding Jimmy Butler, especially in the Eastern Conference, that's going to go a long way for this Miami Heat team. So I have them at four. Uh, You have the Orlando Magic at 7. I have them at 5. I think with the addition of Markel Fultz, who for all of the crazy things that he has been through in his young career with the thoracic outlet syndrome, uh, getting drafted, going to the 76ers, it not working out there, Orlando trades... For Markel Fultz, they give up basically nothing. They gave up uh, Jonathan Simmons, who was out of the rotation in Orlando, and uh, and a second-round pick, or, or excuse me, and, and a draft pick. And so you got a guy, Evan, who was a number one draft pick and who in the preseason obviously looked rusty, and there are some things that he'll have to do to really get back into the flow of it. But this is a guy who appears to still be a productive uh, or or still have the chance to be a productive NBA player. They add uh, a defensive veteran guy in Al Farouk Aminu who started a ton of playoff games for the Portland Trailblazers as well. So that's something I don't think that you can overlook there when you add Amino to that. But going back to Markel Fultz, Evan, I think Orlando's kind of a good place for him because it's so, it, it's not... You know Philadelphia is such a, an intense sports town and environment. He can almost disappear in Orlando, and not that that's a knock on the Magic, but it's just not as big of an NBA market or as big of a sports market. And Orlando made the playoffs last year, but they're still not a a household name on the national stage. So you're going to be able to kind of bring Markel along and get him that game experience that he needs. I think he's going to be the second-string point guard there, so he's going to get a lot of playing time, and you're going to be able to bring him along without, I think, some of those pressures that he was facing in Philadelphia. What do you think uh, when it comes to my assessment there?
1: That sounds like an accurate assessment. You're going to sit him behind DJ Augustine, who's a vet, who's been there, done that, and is a prime still-in-the-league candidate that you look up and it's like, wait a minute, he's still playing? But Markel Foltz has played 33 games in his career, started 15 of them last year in Philadelphia, got traded, didn't play. You know, I think Orlando has a great chance to build on what they did last year. They went 22-9 in their, over their final 31 games. They have, they've collected a lot of young lottery talent. Aaron Gordon is still there. They've got Jonathan Isaac, Mo Bamba. Uh, they gave Evan Fournier a contract. They brought back Vucevic this is a team like, why can't they go 47 and 35? Like, I just kind of put them at number eight or number seven, excuse me, because I don't really know where to slot these teams right now. We still have an 82 game season and there's been so much turnover and uncertainty throughout the entire league that I don't know if I can accurately gauge where guys belong, but To go back to your Miami Heat point, they also got Hassan Whiteside out of Miami. He's in Portland now. How how much of that Miami faith is – is it mostly Jimmy Butler? Is it some Eric Spolstra in there? Uh, Where does your faith in Miami going into the top five uh, lie? Is it mostly Jimmy Butler or is there some Spolstra?
0: Yeah, no, it's a lot of Eric Spolstra. He's one of the best uh, coaches in the NBA that, that kind of gets overlooked, I feel like. But, yeah, when you add a top-20 player, uh, caliber player in Jimmy Butler, in especially in the Eastern Conference environment where we all know, you know, typically not as deep as the Western Conference, Bam Adebayo is going to get the full-time center minutes. I think you're going to see a massive uh, improvement from Bam Adebayo. I really like the kid they drafted, Tyler Hero, the shooting guard. He had a great preseason, a guy that can really fill it up shooting the basketball. His addition is going to be good. They brought in Myers Leonard uh, from Portland, and I think that's a, a good backup center. For Miami to have also a name to watch, I think Kendrick Nunn is going to get some playing time. He's going to get a run. He's going to get some run. And if you saw anything from Miami in the preseason, he really, really was able to score the basketball. They still have Kelly Olynyk. Uh, they have Justice Winslow as well, who I think is a really, really intriguing young player. He's a guy that may be part of something if they try to make a trade, but he's a guy that I would hold on to because. Justice Winslow is a six foot seven, two hundred and twenty five pound power forward, but he's he's basically a point forward because he does a lot of handling the ball. He's a thirty eight percent three point shooter, uh, just over four assists, I think, is the number for him. So I like all of the pieces, and I think Jimmy Butler fits alongside all of those pieces, and they still could potentially make a move. That's kind of where I That's kind of where I am with Miami. So I, it's the faith in Spolstra. It's the addition of Jimmy Butler with the continued emergence of th- some of their young talent. But you make a great point. I mean, I think we can all agree that Philly, Milwaukee are probably, you know, the two best rosters in the Eastern Conference. But as evidenced by you ranking the East and me ranking the East, three through eight, we just don't know. I mean – I can really see, and I think Kemba Walker is an elite player as well. He kind of helps bolster the Celtics. But even then, 3 through 8, I mean, I have the Magic at 5, the Raptors at 6, the Nets at 7, the Pacers at 8. And I really struggled, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Toronto 17-5 and without Kawhi Leonard. I mean, so I have the Raptors at 6, you have them at 3, you might have them more appropriately ranked than I do, but... I just feared for Toronto that could they could potentially make an in-season move uh, as well because of their post Kawhi life they just signed Pascal Siakam to the extension they just inked Kyle Lowry to the 1-year 31 million dollar deal which does make his contract something that you could trade during the season if they're if they're playing well they're making a run you know I don't think that happens but if things slow down a little bit for Toronto. I could see them trying to deal Lowry and so because he's on a contract that I think you can move and get a draft pick or two back for him. But yeah, you t- you accurately mentioned that. I mean 3 through 8 we just really don't know. I mean, you've got the Detroit Pistons lurking around. They could make a run, but there's some questions. Uh, Blake Griffin is not going to be healthy to start the season. So, you know, I think he has to be healthy for Detroit to be able to get into the get into the playoff picture in the East. But I, you know, I can see three through eight playing out any which type of way. And so as you have them ranked, as I have them ranked, we're just going to have to wait and see, because I would not be surprised if the magic who are, they bring back the most consistency. They re-signed Nick Vucevic, re-signed Terrence Ross. They add Markel Fultz to the equation. They add a healthy Mo Bamba because he missed the end of the season. Uh, they have the most continuity coming back in the east. So maybe they get out to a hot start. I could see Orlando getting a 4 seed and getting a, a you know a home playoff series. I could see Miami up there. I have them at number 4. You could also see them falling down to 6. I just think that grouping 3 through 8 is going to be you know anywhere from that that 50 win, that 49 win mark into the mid forties. I mean, I think they're all going to be bunched up there and really anything can happen in the East after Philadelphia and Milwaukee. In my opinion,
1: uh, one of the trendy picks that I saw in a lot of the previews is the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, Hey, Trey young, Deandre Hunter, cam Reddish. Why can't this team make a leap from last year? Trey young, you could make the argument should have won rookie of the year. He didn't Luka Doncic won it. And those two are going to be linked forever because they were traded for one another. Uh, Why? I, I left Atlanta out because look, there's just way too much youth on that roster. Like a good chunk of that roster is under 22, 23 years old. And the veterans on that team are Vince Carter. Who's been in the league longer than most of his teammates have been alive. <laughs> and they, they traded, they traded Kent Bazemore for Evan Turner. They also, brought Jabari Parker in and wow, I really missed on that guy. I thought he was going to be something. Uh, my, my assessment on Atlanta is they're just way too young and they're a year or two away. Do you agree with that?
0: Yes. I 100% agree with that. That is the reason I didn't have the Atlanta Hawks there. I do think they are still a year away. You know, a team that I, a team that I think could be there, you know, I think Washington's going to hang around, Without John Wall, the roster is is a little tough. But they re-signed Bradley Beal, and if you have Beal, I think you know you're going in the East. He's one of those star type guys. You're going to be able to stay afloat. I think the Chicago Bulls could actually be a team that kind of pushes for maybe that eight spot in the Eastern Conference because I do agree with you about the Indiana Pacers with Oladipo going to have to get into the flow of things. He's really the big time, the big time guy. For Indiana, in terms of getting things going, and the star on that roster, and until he gets healthy, they added Malcolm Brogdon, and but I just don't know if if they have enough to keep pace in the East if Oladipo, you know, takes longer to get into the flow of things, or they're just not able to get it going as he kind of eases himself back from injury. But talking about this Chicago Bulls team, you have Zach Levine, you have Lowry Markkinen, uh, you're going to Wendell Carter Jr., who they just drafted uh, last year. He he played very well before he got injured. They drafted Daniel Gafford, the center out of uh, Arkansas, who is a player that I really liked. You have Otto Porter, who can score the ball. They added Tomas Satoransky, uh, a point guard in Uh, Over the summer, they signed him from the Washington Wizards. That's a really good add for them. Denzel Valentine, they're going to get back. He's played well uh, when he's been on the floor. And they make a big addition in Thaddeus Young, who comes over from Indiana. I think his addition to Chicago, he's a 31-year-old vet, uh, 6'8", 220-pound power forward, an excellent rebounder. He's a 35% three-point shooter. Doesn't take a ton, but he can stretch the defense. But he's just a good veteran presence who defensively is really going to help this Bulls team with a guy that can score the ball like Zach Levine. You know, they drafted Kobe White, who they think is going to play uh, play a role this year. They added Sadoransky. They added a couple of pieces. They get Wendell Carter Jr. back healthy. I, I think the Bulls is a team, I think, the Atlanta Hawks are still a little young for me. They're maybe a year, year and a half away from, I think, really popping. But I could see the Chicago Bulls team pushing, you know, 38 wins in the East, which that's going to be right around probably where those seven, eight uh, playoff spots are going to be. So actually for me, instead of the Hawks, you know, I think the Bulls are an intriguing team, kind of I think that'll be in the mix for that eighth spot in the east
1: and they made a pretty bold move by keeping interim head coach Jim Boylan because Fred Hoiberg that when Fred Hoiberg got let go they gave the job to Jim Boylan and he survived a mutiny in season Cody (laughs) I know like he was head he was the interim head coach for maybe like a week and the players were already were like yeah this guy isn't gonna work but Chicago management stuck with him it looks like they're going to get used to him. Chicago is one of those teams that a lot needs to go right. If this team's going to break 40 wins, a lot needs to go right.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, they're going to have to, they're going to have to stay healthy. They're going to have to, you know, as you mentioned, they're going to have to get those breaks. I do agree with that, but I just, I just, I like the way that some of those pieces fit together. You've got marketing, you have, uh, an auto Porter who can really score the ball on the wing for you. The addition of Thaddeus Young inside is really going to help those young post players that they have. So of course, you're going to, they're going to have to get some breaks. Everyone's going to have to stay healthy, but if you're looking for a team kind of at that eight spot, if you're not as sold on the Pacers and you're looking at that next group, I, I think Chicago is definitely a team that can get there uh, in the Eastern Conference. So I go Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, Orlando, Toronto, the Nets, and the Pacers. Evan goes Philly, Milwaukee, the Raptors, the Celtics, the Nets, the Heat, the Magic, and the Pacers in the Eastern Conference. Uh, So we will see how the East plays out. We will also make sure we post these uh, picks this week uh, up on our Twitter account after the show so we can have those Uh, on record and out there on our social media. Evan, let's slide to the Western Conference where I have the Denver Nuggets at one. I have the Los Angeles Clippers at two. I have the Rockets at three. I have the Lakers with the four seed, the Jazz at five, the Blazers at six, the Warriors at seven, and a surprise Dallas Mavericks with the eighth seed in the Western Conference where do you differ from me with your Western Conference selections?
1: Well, I have the L.A. Clippers at number one. I I want to like the Nuggets. I really, really do. But <laughs> I have them. At, I have them at number two. Uh, the Lakers are at three. Utah's at four. Houston is at five. We agree on Portland at six. I have the San Antonio Spurs at seven because I cannot bring myself to pick against them. And number eight is the Golden State Warriors, where they do enough to get in as the number eight seed, even though Clay Thompson might miss the entire year. Uh, I put the Spurs at seven because I can't bring myself to pick against them. The Spurs have not missed the playoffs since the 1996 1997 season. Uh, to give you context on how long ago that was, uh, here are a lot of the things that we are using right now that did not exist in 1997. YouTube, Facebook, uh, this computer that I'm using right now, this microphone I'm using right now. Uh, oh, the world has changed a lot since the last time that the Chicago, that the San Antonio Spurs did not make the playoffs and sorry, not sorry. I can't bring myself to pick against them Uh, talk me into why I should like why I shouldn't like the nuggets. Uh, Nikola Jokic is getting some MVP buzz. He's potentially the best big man in the, in the league. They brought back Paul Millsap, which I think was a smart, which I think was a smart move. They're getting Michael Porter jr. Back. They brought back Jamal Murray on a contract extension. Um, talk me into this. Like what? I want to like the Nuggets. I don't know. I'm like right there on the fence, Cody. Get me over the fence and why I should like them.
0: Well, no, that's fair. I have the Nuggets as the number one seed in the West, and I I have them at that number one seed pretty much for the same reason that I kind of like Orlando in the East. Denver brings back the entire roster that they had last season, for the most part. You have some ancillary additions and subtractions. But they bring back the core of that team. Everybody is back. So early on in the season, as all of these other teams are trying to gel and figure out how their two superstars mesh, Jokic, Jamal Murray, Mason Plumlee, you're going to add Michael Porter Jr., uh, Paul Millsap, as you mentioned, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Malik Beasley, all these guys are back and they've been in Coach Mike Malone's system. So I I like Denver from a continuity standpoint to get the number one seed because I think pretty much everyone else after Denver in the Western Conference made a fairly significant addition with some sort of superstar or high-level player that they expect to play a major role. So I like, I, I like Denver a lot to be the number one seed in the Western Conference. That's during the regular season. I don't trust Denver as much in the postseason when I think it really becomes a, a, a lot of times about your star players and I absolutely love Nikola Jokic, but in the West, you have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Mike Conley with the Jazz, which I think is a, an elite addition for them. You have Damian Lillard. You still have Steph Curry, Draymond Green. I mean, you rattle off the list of players. Jokic is in that in that mix with those guys, but Denver doesn't have that second guy, and That's where I like some of those other teams in the West, but I think the continuity that Denver has will get them the number one seed in the Western Conference over the course of the 82-game season because I think they'll get out well, and they'll be able to take advantage of some of these teams that don't have as good a chemistry early on. But I do think that they're a very formidable team and definitely going to be, for me, at the top of the Western Conference – I have the Clippers at two. You have them at one. You know, with the we saw it last night with Kawhi Leonard, who's just an absolute machine. But with the addition of Kawhi Leonard, with the addition of Paul George, I really, really like this Clippers roster. I think all of the pieces fit pretty well together. With Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell coming off the bench. When Paul George comes back and is healthy, he had uh, his shoulder surgeries over the uh, course of the offseason, so he did not play and is expected to miss the first portion of the season. But I, I think 10, 12 games they're looking at Paul George missing right here at the front of the campaign. But you saw what they can do. That's already a pretty talented, tenacious roster with uh, one of the guys you like, I know, Patrick Beverly. So I really like what the Clippers have assembled. But, again, they're kind of one of those teams that they'll have to figure out and get Paul George back up to speed and get him healthy when he's able to. So that's a team that's kind of trying to weave things together. You have the Rockets at five. I have the Rockets at three. Again, this is one of those regular season things I feel like for me. Really like James Harden, the addition of his friend uh, Russell Westbrook. That's going to make for a very very dynamic tandem in the backcourt. Again, I think that's going to be a team that can really really have some success in the regular season as well. Well, you know, kind of remains to be seen what they can do in the postseason with James Harden with Russell Westbrook, but that's a team that I kind of like especially as a regular season team because when you have James Harden who can score 36 a night and you add a guy like Russell Westbrook who can, who's really athletic, and can really really get after it. I think that that's a team that is definitely going to be in the mix for the top 4 in the Western Conference.
1: Well, they made the point of, well, Westbrook and Harden, they played together. They played together. Yeah, the James Harden that played with Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City and the James Harden right now are two completely different players. Yep, great point. He was this he was the 6th man in Oklahoma City. He is the man in Houston. Former MVP. And if you looked at Oklahoma City post Durant, that team was greased for Russell Westbrook to get all the stats. It was greased for him to get all the stats. Like you saw you saw the videos. Like on the free throw, his teammates would just get out of the way and let Russell Westbrook get it. <laughs> There's only one ball in Houston. There's only one ball. And we've shown and we've seen post Durant in Oklahoma City when Russell Westbrook doesn't have the ball, he's kind of lackadaisical and disinterested. And they tried this with Chris Paul and James Harden. It didn't work because there's only one ball. And you add in the turmoil of, we're not even going to get into the storm that's over in China because of your because your GM did a thing. Uh, Mike D'Antoni had an extension. There were extension talks that just kind of abruptly ended. So his future's in limbo. You know, the Rockets, this is one of those teams that it has to work right now. Not as drastically as the Clippers, because the Clippers traded, like, their next seven years worth of draft picks to Oklahoma City. So, for the Clippers, it better work. It's just, I look at Houston, and I understand the talking point of they played together, but the version of Russbrook, when he was in Oklahoma city all those years ago versus a version of Russell Westbrook right now, two completely different players and they are both high usage rate ball dominant guys. Uh, on paper. I, I don't know how this is going to work.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. The, the subtraction of Gerald green who suffered a foot injury and they are afraid that he's going to miss the entire season. That hurts for them. A very athletic guy on the wing who can shoot threes and stretch the floor They still have Eric Gordon. They still have James Harden. They still have Clint Capella. Uh, They have Tyson Chandler. They have Nene, who can back up uh, Capella inside. P.J. Tucker still as well. Uh, Austin Rivers, who's been a really, really nice addition at the shooting guard spot for Houston. So losing Gerald Green, I think, hurts them as well. But they still have most of the team intact uh, from a team that could get to the Western Conference Finals. So... You know, I like Houston. I think there's a lot of talent there. It's going to be, as you mentioned, very interesting to see how James Harden and Russell Westbrook mesh together, but I think the talent is certainly there to be a top-four team in the Western Conference. I have the Lakers at four. You have them at three, so we've got them kind of slotted about the same. This Lakers team scares me just a little bit. Now, when everything is healthy for LA. I think they have two of the top five players in the league in terms of LeBron James and in terms of Anthony Davis. But there are some concerns for me. You know, we were talking about who has the, the biggest something we're going to talk about as we continue on is who has the biggest disaster season potential. And Little bit of a warm take, I guess, and it's not like it's not like I think the Lakers are going to be a disaster because that's not it. But the questions that you have kind of surrounding this Lakers team you have a 35 year old LeBron who only played 55 games last year, Anthony Davis, one of the top five talents in the NBA, he has not played a full season in his career. His best is 75 games. He did that in 16-17 and 17-18. He's had a bunch of injuries, none of them major, but a lot of just little random nagging injuries that cause him to miss time. DeMarcus Cousins tore his ACL again. He's out for the season, which drastically hurts their depth inside. I I thought Cousins was a nice addition for them. Not having him is going to play a role – Which Dwight Howard are you going to get? I think you're going to get a productive player, but with the way the game is played today, it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize Dwight Howard in some of the situations, especially if they try to have him on the floor late in games. I don't know if that's going to go well. They don't have a super reliable secondary ball handler. I mean, Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley, Alex Caruso... Quinn Cook at the point guard position. Those guys aren't exactly jumping off the page at me. And while I do like those players, and I think they do fit with LeBron, they don't really have that other guy that can handle the ball and make a play, whether it's for himself or his teammates. They have LeBron James. They have Anthony Davis. They're going to be fine. They're one of the best teams in the NBA, and they're one of the top teams in the Western Conference. But there are just little things with the Lakers that I can see if things start to turn that I could see them sliding a little bit in the west. Do you think I'm I'm crazy on that?
1: No, you're not. But Cody, you left out like the most interesting part, which is all the Game of Thrones palace intrigue stuff that was going on in the organization over the summer.
0: <laughs> you right. had
1: Tyron Ty, Tyron Liu was gonna be the head coach until they demanded he hire Jason Kidd. He said no they brought in Frank Vogel, and then they also demanded he hire Jason Kidd, but they didn't want to just make Jason Kidd the head coach, so they're going to force Frank Vogel to... Ha- and then there was the Baxter Holmes piece about how out-to-lunch Magic Johnson was and that Rob Palenka is a freaking moron. And then the day that they're announcing Frank Vogel, Magic Johnson goes on first take and buries the and buries the LA Lakers. And let's not forget the part where he quit on the last day of the season abruptly. I and mean, there's all these different factions within the organization of who's in Genie Buss's ear and who's not like this has the greatest season from hell potential because Frank Vogel's going to be looking over his shoulder all year because LeBron James coaches don't really have 10 years. They have more extended trial periods. Uh, you know, like how many head coaches LeBron James doesn't really have a lot of respect for head coaches outside of tyloo he grand david blatt out of town there was the whole in miami he wanted spolstra out of there but then pat riley put his foot down it's there's so much outside noise nonsense around this lakers team that if it goes south it's going to go south in a hurry
0: oh yeah no the, I, I i totally understand and yeah i was you know i i talking about on the basketball court, didn't even mention all of the disaster that you pointed out uh, that has been in that front office. So very, very, uh, very, very interesting to watch them. You know, if if LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy, that's going to be a team that's, you know, top three, top four in the Western Conference. There's no doubt about that. But as you mentioned, there are some extenuating circumstances that could potentially come up for the Lakers that really make it very interesting to follow them. Uh, worth pointing out as well, Ty Lu is on Doc Rivers' staff as an assistant for the Clippers, so he is across town, adding to the intrigue of the battle for L.A. this year. The Jazz, I have at five, you have at four. Evan, I think the addition of Mike Conley for them is a big, big add for this team, especially in this Western Conference race. You add a bona fide point guard to this roster. I think that's kind of what they've been missing, and I really, really like this Jazz team. I have them at five. I could see them pushing as high as three if everything really works well for them. I'm a big fan of what the Jazz have assembled uh, this year, Uh, uh, extending head coach Quinn Snyder as well. I really like what they've put together.
1: There's no reason not to like what they've put together. Uh, They made... A curious decision in the off season where Derek Favors was a really popular guy in Utah. They let Derek Favors go and they brought in uh, Bogdanovich, who is a knockdown three point shooter. And I understand from a fan's perspective. Look, Derek Favors was a team, was a really popular guy in the locker room. Everybody liked him, but you know. I guess when you've already got Rudy Gobert, it just seemed a bit redundant. And we saw in the postseason with their rotating—I'm uh, trying to find a word for it—like the rotating inconsistent at best point guard play with Ricky Rubio and Dante Exum, who add that to a list of a guy that we thought was going to be great but never worked out. Uh, they had a guy named Raúl Neto. Now that they have Mike Conley you don't have to worry about Utah in the playoffs because Utah in the playoffs was if Donovan Mitchell can't score, they're screwed. And when you add this much talent around Utah and Quinn Snyder and deservedly, so is getting some early coach of the year buzz. Is there a possibility that Utah finishes with the best record in the Western conference? Their Vegas over under is 53 and a half, which seems really high.
0: This is a really good team. I mean, look, you're going to have Mike Conley, you get got Donovan Mitchell. As you mentioned, Bogdanovich coming over from Indiana. Bogdanovich is a bona fide three-point shooter, nearly 43%. He shoots almost 50% from the floor. This is a guy who can really score the ball, stretch the defense. Uh, Ed Davis as your backup or at power forward, he could play some – uh, center as well. I think that's a nice backup behind Rudy Gobert, not a guy who's going to explode on offense, but a guy that can rebound, a guy that can go get the basketball. They have Jeff Green as well, a little bit older player, but uh, a guy who can can log some minutes at the small forward spot. They have Emmanuel eight They have Joe Ingles, uh, who is one of my favorite guys, and a guy that I could see them bringing him off the bench. Uh, I don't know exactly how their how their rotation's gonna shake out, but you could you could get some sixth man of the year buzz with Joe Ingles if they bring him off the bench because he's a six foot eight shooting guard who can do it all. He's a, a good passer, he's a good three-point shooter, he can rebound the ball as well. This is a really, really talented roster. And you like I said, you add those guys, you add Connolly, you add Bogdanovich to some of this young talent that they have. I think Donovan Mitchell is primed to take a step as well. I could definitely see this team really pushing for a top top two, top three seed in the Western Conference and maybe pushing uh, who I have as the one in Denver Nuggets. I, yeah, absolutely, Evan. I could definitely see that happening.
1: Sticking with the Nuggets and Jazz, uh, they're both young, dynamic playmakers. Who has the bigger leap this year, Murray or Mitchell?
0: I went back and forth on this when you posed this question. This was a good one. I have don—I think Donovan Mitchell continues to, I guess, make a bigger leap than Jamal Murray. And the reason I say that is because I think that Donovan Mitchell, he won't be relied on as much, if that makes sense. I think with the addition of Connolly, with the addition of Bogdanovich, there's not as much pressure on Mitchell to have to go out and score 20, 25, 30 points a night. This is a kid who averaged 20 points in his first season, then I I believe 23 last year. This is going into his third season. I think with the addition of those two players for Utah, Donovan Mitchell, there's not going to be as much pressure on him, and I think that's really going to allow him to grow and see the game and play along those play alongside those players. I really like Jamal Murray and what he does. He can be an a very explosive scorer, a career 15 point a game guy in his first 3 seasons going into his 4th year. That Denver has pretty much the same team around him so I think he's going to be a very very successful player and have another good season. But I like Donovan Mitchell and the trajectory he's on. And now that he gets to play with those type of guys, I can see Donovan Mitchell making a really nice step this year and not necessarily scoring the ball because I don't think he'll need to as much, but really just becoming a better basketball player. So I'll take Donovan Mitchell there, but those are two guys that I I really like. Are Are you on the Mitchell side or the Murray side of that one?
1: I would have to lean more on the Murray side. Uh, Murray, he's 22 years old. Uh, He averaged career highs in points, 18.2 assists, 4.8 rebounds, 4.2. But unlike Donovan Mitchell, well, you could say, well, they've got Mike Conley. So that's not really going to apply this year. The, the offense in Denver doesn't funnel through Jamal Murray. It funnels through Jokic. Jokic is the primary offensive force on that team. And Murray is sort of the secondary ball handler guy. They've got a lot of guys around him that I think are probably poised to pop. You've got Malik Beasley. Will Barton's a nice player. uh, Michael Porter Jr., who a lot of people when he was going to Missouri thought was going to be the number one overall pick. He had back problems, slid to the Nuggets. So they're getting potentially top five talent into year two, if he, assuming he can stay healthy and return to what he was in high school. I just look at the supporting cast around Murray. It's, it's younger. They have arguably higher expectations than him. Plus Murray got the contract. So I feel like he might need to justify that contract. I, I don't know. I can't pretend to understand his motivations, but you would think that after they gave me that contract extension over the summer, it would be like, okay, well, Denver just gave me this contract. I need to prove why I'm worth it. Uh, but I, I could be, I could be wrong here. But I, I guess that's just my way of thinking about it.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a, a lot of those things make a lot of sense to me. I think those are two players in the West that are going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, no doubt about that. The Blazers are an interesting team for me because they add Hassan Whiteside, uh, they keep Rodney Hood. Yousef Nurkic is going to come back, which is going to be interesting to see what they do with Whiteside. You've got Whiteside trying to play for a contract. Yusef Nurkic is their their usual center. He is out for with he was out at the end of the year with an injury, but he's going to come back. They have a lot of that same roster with Zach Collins, with Damian Lillard, with Rodney Hood back, with CJ McCollum. They add the rookie Nasir Little, who I think could play a role this year. Uh, they have Gary Trent Jr. as well. They added Anthony Tolliver, uh, a veteran guy, veteran forward from uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. He comes over from Minnesota. I think Portland's an interesting team. I I have them at six. I could see them sliding down maybe. It uh, just depends on kind of how things break with them. Maybe they decide to make a trade. Maybe they you know are able to move Whiteside or something like that. Uh, the Warriors at seven. Golden State is one of those teams I think are fascinating to follow this year because you have Steph Curry, you have Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson is out with the ACL. You have just a, a really interesting cast of characters that they've had to assemble around these guys. They bring in Alec Burks. They bring in Willie Cauley-Stein. Uh, you still have Kavon Looney. They added D'Angelo Russell. How does he fit along? Uh, They bring in Glenn Robinson. I mean, Evan, after Steph, Draymond, and D'Angelo Russell, this is truly a trove of guys who are really just, I mean, not household names at all when you come to looking and trying to figure out who these guys are on this Golden State roster. Got Steph Curry got D'Angelo Russell. How do those guys fit? You know Draymond Green's going to do his thing. But this is a team that if they are able to stay healthy and they are able to just stay in the mix and Klay Thompson can come back, they're they're going to make the playoffs. But this is a team that if they lose a guy, they could be season over for Golden State because they just don't have enough depth.
1: And they also lost Andre Iguodala. We didn't even mention that. And Sean Livingston also announced his retirement. So those are two important bench guys that they lost. Uh, there's uh, Haley O'Shaughnessy on The Ringer wrote this. I don't know if it's an actual bet, but I just found the line hilarious. But they set the over-under line at games before Draymond Green yells at D'Angelo Russell <laughs> at at 11 games. Uh, Seems D'Angelo, high for me. Yeah, I know. D'Angelo Russell really came into his own in Brooklyn last year when he was just part of – he was thrown into the Mozgov trade in, uh, in LA there's, there's a lot of turnover on this warriors team. And for the first time in a while, we don't just have to sit there and just say, okay, the West warriors. And then just, and then we just kind of work from there. This is a team that is going through a drastic shift, ju- not from injuries, but also guys left in free agency. Andre Godala got traded. Uh, Sean Livingston announced his retirement we are going to learn a lot about this team uh, this season. And we're also going to learn a lot about Steve Kerr as, as a head coach. And you know, a lot of the talk around Steve Kerr is like, I mean, come on. I mean, how hard does he really have to work when you've got Durant and Steph Curry? I could coach that team and we'd win 65 games, but I, this is a chance to show for Steve Kerr to show, you know, I actually am a good coach, which I, the fact that people were arguing against that to me was a bit insane.
0: Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I, Steve Kerr is one of the premier coaches in the league. I mean, yes, you, yes, he has a bunch of talent, but you also have to be able to have everyone buy into their roles and have everyone be able to uh, accept what they're doing and play to their potential. So th- there's no doubt that, that uh, Steve Kerr is one of the top coaches in the league. No doubt about that. He's going to get I, – I think he could get some Coach of the Year buzz depending on how the year shakes out because just because of the situation they're in. As you mentioned, no Livingston, Iguodala. Uh, Kevin Durant leaves for Brooklyn. This Warriors team intrigues me. I, I'm very interested to see Steph Curry. You know, he's definitely going to shoulder the offensive load. Is he going to be able to do that for the entirety of the season? You know, you're going to have some of these other guys be able to step up. But, you know, already Willie Cauley-Stein has been hurt, so they haven't had some of that depth even in the preseason. That's going to be an emerging storyline in the West and for Golden State is just if they can stay healthy and if they if they have enough to stick around and hang around until Klay Thompson is able to come back, if he's able to come back this year at all. But uh, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. I, I do like the addition of D'Angelo Russell. It is going to be intriguing to see how he fits because he's a guy that handles the ball a lot and really, especially in Brooklyn, everything kind of ran through him and he was able to distribute. He's great off the dribble. He's a great pull-up jump shooter. Uh, I I like the addition of him for Golden State. It's going to be intriguing to see how he fits with Steph and with Draymond in that starting lineup, but uh, I do like D'Angelo Russell with them as well. I have the Dallas Mavericks at number eight, so I am going against Greg Popovich, which scares me to death this year because, I mean, he's Greg Popovich. But I really like Luka Doncic and the pairing of him and Chris Stapp's Porzingis. And I think the, the rest of the pieces on that Dallas Mavericks roster are really, really complimentary to those two guys. I think that Rick Carlisle is able to always – get the absolute most out of the guys on his bench and and curry everything together. You have J.J. Barea, Jalen Brunson, Seth Curry, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi Kleba, uh, Dwight Powell, who was a big addition at the power forward spot that they bring back, a player that Boban Marjanovic as well with Chris Stapps, with Luka. Boban. They brought in DeLon Wright as well. Uh, from Toronto this is a this is a roster that I think is primed to make a playoff push in the Western Conference for one of those seven eight seeds I think everything fits together and if they get a healthy Porzingis I think it'll take a little bit of time obviously for him to continue to get into rhythm and get back to where he was but if Porzingis is healthy him alongside Luka Doncic that's scary for the rest of the league.
1: Okay, first of all, I want to apologize for interrupting and just saying Boban. I got really excited when I remembered <laughs> he was on the roster. <laughs> I got really excited when I remembered he was on the Dallas Mavericks roster. Uh, Christoph Porzingis hasn't played basketball in over a year and a half now. Are we sure he's going to be back to being what he was in New York?
0: Are, are we sure? I mean, no, we're not sure. But from what I saw in the preseason, it looks like he's getting back into rhythm. And if he's anywhere close alongside Doncic with the guys they have to compliment them, I I like Dallas to get that eight seed this year. That's just me, though.
1: Well, they've got Luka Doncic, who won Rookie of the Year. Uh, you could make the argument that Trey Young had a better end to the season than Doncic did. Uh, do you – I don't know why we're re- – why we're re adjudicating this, but I guess we're gonna do it. Uh, did should Luca have won Rookie of the Year last year?
0: Yes, he was better for the majority of the season. I mean, Trey Young was better at the end of the year, but I mean, Luca was Luca was much more consistent early on than Trey. So yeah, I, I thought I thought they got that right. Absolutely.
1: So moving on to the West and how we've shaked out the bottom of the Western Conference. Um. We both left the New Orleans Pelicans off of our of our playoff predictions Cody which means JJ Redick is going to miss the playoffs according to us for the first time in his career. Uh what made you pick against New Orleans from going to the playoffs this year?
0: It's a good question because you now with Zion Williamson injured obviously that takes a big hit for New Orleans. But this is a team that they – I really like what they've put together. You know, they bring in a guy like J.J. Redick, who is a bona fide fide established uh, professional basketball player, professional shooter as well. He is going to be able to stretch the floor for this Pelicans team big time. They added Jackson Hayes, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, a couple of young rookies – they bring in, as part of the Anthony Davis, they bring in, they add Josh Hart. They add Lonzo Ball. They bring in Derek Favors as well. You have Drew Holiday there, who is one of the best point guards in the NBA, and he does not get enough love for that. And I think with Zion, when he's able to come back healthy, you already saw that uh, executives are putting the Pelicans on TV. They're going to have a lot of exposure, which I think is great for Drew Holiday because people are going to see that he is one of the best two-way point guards in the NBA. You have Brandon Ingram. You have Jaleel Okafor, J.J. Redick with Zion as well. Zion, obviously, with the meniscus injury and surgery. They expect him to be out six to eight weeks. We'll see what happens with Zion. I just don't think that there is enough outside of I really like what Zion showed in the preseason, and I really like J.J. Redick as well. Lonzo Ball, I think, is primed for a big year. But I just think that they're still maybe another year away from continuing to put the pieces together and fit everything into this basketball team for New Orleans. I, I think this is going to be a good team. I think this is going to be a team that is pushing right at the end, right at the end of that uh, playoff race in the West. So those seven, eight spots: Golden State, uh, Dallas, New Orleans. Those teams are going to be in that fight for for that spot. I trusted, basically for me, Evan. It came down to I think Luca and Porzingis with the pieces that Dallas has coming off the bench. I think are more solid then I think New Orleans is relying heavily on Zion Williamson. Now, obviously, they have Derek Favors, they have Drew Holiday, they have very productive players, Lonzo Ball as well, but they're really counting on Zion and the fact that he's going to miss six to eight weeks, which looks like, you know, that's 20, 24, maybe 25 games. I think losing him like that at the front end of this, and I, I had this predicted even before, uh, even with Zion, I thought they would miss the playoffs just barely to the Mavericks. They're definitely going to be a team pushing for it, but I, I don't see it happening this year. I think maybe uh, next year going forward for New Orleans, I like what they're doing, but I'll take the Mavericks this year as the as a, the eighth seed in the West.
1: This team will appear on a na- on national TV 30 times, which I feel like is probably, m- I don't have the exact numbers on this, but I feel like this is going, they're going to be on TV more times than the entire time. Anthony Davis was there. Like (laughs) everybody knew Anthony Davis was a good player, but nobody cared because he was in new Orleans and now new Orleans gets Zion. And now suddenly everybody's racing to get new Orleans on TV. Uh, I guess we can segue this into our awards thing where it sounds like, Everyone has just decided that Zion is going to be rookie of the year and it doesn't matter how many games he's missed. He's still the overwhelming favorite in Vegas, even after the six to eight week injury. Like the, the last player in a non-lockout season to win rookie of the year playing less than 60 games was Patrick Ewing, who played 50 games in the 1985-86 season. Kyrie Irving and Vince Carter were in Rookie of the Years when they played 50 and 51 games, but those were all lockout shortened seasons. So, for the purpose of this exercise, Cody, uh, Zion is banned. He is not. We are not allowed to pick him for Rookie of the Year because that's way too obvious. My Rookie of the Year is RJ Barrett, and here's why. Uh, go look at that New York Knicks roster. Who's gonna score points for this team? They're gonna need RJ Barrett to do pretty much everything. <laughs> And I'm basing my philosophy on rookie of the year, same way the NFL rookie of the year is we'll just take the running back. Cause the running back is going to get so many more opportunities that just, just from a sheer volume standpoint, it's going to be like, okay, we kind of have to. So that is why I'm picking RJ Barrett to win rookie of the year because the New York Knicks are going to need him to do a lot.
0: Oh no, there's no question about that. I, I will take the Memphis point guard, Ja Morant, the, a uh, prolific young guard out of Murray State. I like what Memphis has put together. I think Morant is going to have a chance to really show what he can do uh, athletically, passing the basketball right from the get go with Jaron Jackson, uh, with John Morant. I really like what they've put together, so I'll take John Morant. I, I thought about R.J. Barrett as well as you, as you point out there. He's going to get the chance to really have the ball a lot and. And I think they're the Knicks are going to rely heavily on RJ to score for sure. But I'll take Morant uh, out of that list if we're leaving Zion off because I agree. I think Zion could play forty games, and if he lives up to what he has showed us in the preseason and what people think he can be, I, I mean, I think it. I think he could win it only playing forty games.
1: I think he could win it probably playing. What's the minimum amount for where you're still considered technically a rookie, like 30 games. I think it is 30 or
0: he could in that play
1: 30 game. It just seems like everyone has just decided that he's rookie of the year. And that, that kind of frustrates me a little bit. Like everything that I've read just said up oh, Zion. Like, why are we, why are we even talking about this? Like, yeah, I know he's going to miss six to eight weeks, but who cares? He's Zion. Of course he's going to win. Um, a little stat on the Pelicans on January 18th of next year, they're going to play on ABC against the Los Angeles Clippers. This will be the first time that the new Orleans Pelicans have played a game on ABC since April 12th,
0: 2009. Wow. It's the Zion and, Williamson effect, which by the way, they weren't even the
1: Pelicans yet at that point. They were still the new Orleans Hornets at that wow. point.
0: That's a, that, that's 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 been a long time. Yeah, that's the Zion Williamson effect. Yeah, when he comes back healthy, he is he is he plays with a reckless abandon. He is ridiculously talented, absurdly athletic. Going to be very intriguing to follow with this with this injury, and it's on his his uh explosive his explosive uh, knee. I think that right knee, which what you're as a as a left-handed player, what you're jumping off of. Uh, so they're gonna have a they've got their work cut out for them to get Zion back into shape and back healthy because this Pelicans team really needs him. But uh speaking of our awards, we're talking about rookie of the year. You take RJ Barrett, I take John Morant. We both have the same MVP. That's Giannis Adacumpo in Milwaukee. Evan, I, I don't think there's a ton of uh ton of competition here. If Giannis has another season like he had last year. I think Milwaukee will be one of the top three or four teams in the league. You obviously have a ton of different guys, James Harden, Nikola Jokic. You're going to have a bunch of guys, I guess, in competition with him. But if he puts up a similar stat line for this Milwaukee team, I think Giannis is going to go back-to-back.
1: They returned almost the entire, entirely the same team. They lost Malcolm Brogdon, which I think is going to be a bigger deal than people think it is. But the MVP right now, I think it's Zion's we're not Zion's sorry I, we're st- I'm still stuck in the rookie of the year <laughs> thing uh it, it's gonna be Giannis's to lose my coach of the year pick was Philadelphia with Brett Brown uh, if he survived all the turmoil and the immediate aftermath of the game seven loss to the Toronto Raptors there was a story about well is he gonna get let go or are they gonna bring him back well they decide to bring him back and In my prediction, they have the best record in the league, which allows Brett Brown to win Coach of the Year. Who did you pick?
0: Yeah, my Coach of the Year is going to be Mike Malone with Denver uh, because I do think they get the number one seed in the Western Conference. And doing that back-to-back years, Malone got a lot of buzz last year, didn't win it. I I I think he can get over the hump this year and takes home the Coach of the Year. But you're going to have a lot of guys in the mix for that. As you mentioned, Brett Brown – Uh, Mike Malone, Budenholzer won it last year. He could be in the mix for it this year. If a team like Orlando is able to push high in the Eastern Conference, Steve Clifford is going to get a look. I I think Steve Kerr is going to get some buzz if, you know, there's a bunch of adversity faced for this team and they're still able to make the playoffs. I think he's going to get some buzz for it. So I have Mike Malone in Denver as uh, my coach of the year candidate.
1: Also, maybe a dark horse, Nick Nurse. Uh, He was a rookie head coach, went to the NBA finals and won it. If he can keep this Raptors team that most people assume fell apart the second Kawhi left, if he can keep them hovering around like the 50-55 win range. Maybe Nick Nurse could get some Coach of the Year buzz. Absolutely. Uh,
0: Maybe Eric Spolstra. Miami won, I think, 38-39 games last year. If they're a 50-win team, he's going to get some looks for it. So there's a lot of interesting storylines that could play out that could cause Coach of the Year to go in a a bunch of different directions.
1: My defensive player of the year is Rudy Gobert. Uh, I don't really feel like I should argue that point. They call him the Stifle Tower. Uh, (laughs) Enough said.
0: Yeah, I have Rudy Gobert as well. I was between Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert, but ultimately decided to go with uh, with Rudy there. I agree. The stifle tower, what he's able to do at the interior of that defense for Utah is uh, unmatched. My most
1: improved player of the year is Markel Fultz, because I, I think people forget just how media slash narrative driven these awards are. And the story writes itself. Like if Markel Fultz can look like, a serviceable seventh man in Orlando. They're probably just going to give him the award. I think it's a story that writes itself. And if he can look like Cody, like give me just a random average NBA player. Just name, just name a guy.
0: I don't even know. I'm trying to think of Markel Fultz and like comparing him to different guys. But if he, if he can throw, if he could score 10 points, dish out like four assists I totally agree with you. He'll he'll be right in that conversation just judging from everything that he's been through. And you mentioned it's about storylines. It is for the MVP and everything like that too. It, it, it kind of takes care of itself if he's able to come out and be productive as the second point guard for the Magic. If he comes out and goes, you know, 10, 11 points, you know, a steal, uh, three or four rebounds, three or four assists, it might be his to lose.
1: I'm trying to think of, like, uh, I can't think of a, the only ones that come into my mind are guys that have been in the league for a long time, and it would feel like insulting to Markel Foles to, to compare him to. Uh, for sixth man of the year, Lou Williams, he's won he's won two years in a row. I'm just going to run on the principle of, okay, yeah, Lou Williams, he's won the last two years in a row. Until somebody else knocks him off, he's just going to be my pick forever.
0: It's the uh, the Lou Williams Award. It's going to be interesting to see with the Clippers, you know, maybe they stagger Kawhi and Paul George sometimes. So I think Lou Williams is going to be obviously in the mix for that sixth man award. I think there's a whole grouping of guys that you're going to see there. You're going to see Lou Williams, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. You're going to see uh, potentially Joe Ingles. You know, if the Jazz bring him off the bench, that's going to be a guy that is uh, is going to be in the mix. For sixth man, I have Terrence Ross in Orlando, and here's why. Terrence Ross hit 217 threes last year off the bench. He was the only player in NBA history to hit that number of threes, hit 200 or more threes off the bench without starting a single game. Wayne Ellington has the record with 227 threes. That was, I believe, in 2017, 2018. But Ellington started a couple of games for the Miami Heat. Ross went 217 all off the bench. Terrence Ross, I think, is the perfect second-unit scorer type of player for Steve Clifford and his offense. I thought he should have gotten sixth man of the year buzz last year and did not get very much at all. I think Orlando is better this year. I think they get a little more national attention, and I think Terrence Ross gets some deserved love for being a guy that could come in and absolutely take over a game, much like Lou Williams does, just different facets. Terrence Ross with the three ball, Lou Williams with the crafty scorer mentality. I think Ross is going to be a guy in that conversation, but again, it is a loaded field for sixth man. Terrence Ross, Lou Williams, Spencer Dinwiddie, you're going to have a ton of guys in the mix for that award.
1: Of course, the guy who used to work for Orlando picks the Orlando guy. Shocker!
0: <laughs> Shocker! <laughs> no, it, it, well, and and my most improved player, I battled with another Magic player for most improved, but uh, in Jonathan Isaac, but I went for Bam Adebayo in Miami. What this guy did last year in limited action, bes- uh, behind, uh, Hassan Whiteside, this is. A ridiculously athletic kid for the Miami Heat and Bam Adebayo. He's going to get the full time center minutes with Jimmy Butler. He's going to have a lot of room to roam around and work. This is a guy who I think we're going to see a really, really big step for Bam this year. Six foot nine, 240 pounds. Uh, he's from New Jersey. He played at Kentucky. He was uh, second team All-SEC in 2017. He was SEC All-Freshman team. This is a guy who last year uh, he played in 69 games. He averaged almost seven points and five and a half rebounds. He's going to get the lion's share of the work at the center spot for Miami. I think you're going to see a big season from Bam Adebayo. He's going to take a big step for that Miami Heat team.
1: You know, I wasn't being like remotely serious about picking on you over the Terrence Ross No, no, right. I
0: know, I know. I, I'm telling you, I struggled with Jonathan Isaac for most improved player because he's another guy, a very young player in the Eastern Conference, much like Bam Adebayo, who I think is primed to take a really, really big step this year for that Magic team. So there's a couple of Magic guys that I think if they're able to – obviously they need to be towards the top of that Eastern conference to get the kind of love that some of the other guys do. But I think there's a real possibility that you're going to have some of those guys really in the mix uh, for some of these awards come the end of the year.
1: We talked about in the spirit of Halloween, we talked about who would have the, who would have nightmare season potential who has, uh, who has the biggest, I'm trying to find a word for this, but who has the biggest overachiever potential? Let's go with that overachiever potential.
0: I okay. So in the East, I think your candidates are that four, five, six spot that I have: Miami, Orlando, and Toronto. The continuity that Orlando has bringing back most of their roster. Miami's addition with Jimmy Butler. If they go out and make another move, they could really, really push up in the Eastern Conference. And Toronto, we talked about it. They were 17-5 and without Kawhi. They got the win last night. This is a very formidable team with Pascal Siakam, with Kyle Lowry, uh, Fred Van Vliet. They still have Marc Gasol, OG Ananobi. This is a really good Toronto Raptors team still. I think they could be an overachieving team. That whole grouping right there in the middle of the East, I think has a chance any one of them, if things break the right way, could push up to that maybe three seed in the Eastern Conference. And then if we're talking in the Western Conference, I would probably say like the Jazz, you know, I could see them, you know, they're probably projected somewhere in the 52, 53 wins you know, everything goes right for Utah. I could see them pushing up towards Denver uh, as a top seed in the Western Conference. I think their starting five, their, their core seven or eight guys are that good. But uh, I think those candidates are going to come in the Eastern Conference and right in that middle of the pack, Miami, Orlando, Toronto. I think you're going to see some surprising stuff from those three teams, and, and you're going to have maybe one of them really, really push up towards the top of the East and surprise a lot of people.
1: My overachiever pick would have to be maybe. This sounds like a bit of a cop out, but Golden State, because no, that's fair. You're you're going into a season where Clay Thompson, it's fairly likely he's going to miss all of this season. Uh, you lost Kevin Durant, you lost Iguodala, you lost Sean Livingston. If if this Golden State team can finish. 48 and 34, for example, like get close to 50 wins. They're like, wow. Okay. They're, they're, okay. Maybe this roster wasn't as top heavy as we thought, but to stick in the, but my pick in the Eastern conference for who has overachiever potential, uh, maybe, maybe Philadelphia. Cause I have them getting the, having the best record in the league. They won 51 games last year. I think they're going to go from 51 to 62 and this is the year where Ben Simmons shows
0: that he can shoot. Oh, boy. That's a bold prediction.
1: But not probably not as bold as uh, – I, I didn't say he was going to make a three. I just said he was going to shoot. And if they can keep Joel Embiid in shape. Uh, at the bottom of the NBA, uh, the Charlotte Hornets, man. Like, they are a living, crying Jordan meme at this point. Is, is there a universe where this team wins 25 games? Because I don't see it.
0: No, I think they're going to be them and the the Cavaliers and the Knicks, all three of those teams. I actually think the Knicks could be maybe 25, 26 wins, more than the Cavaliers and the Hornets, just because you have some of the you have some more established players in New York, but Cleveland and Charlotte are definitely going to be battling it out to see who could get to 22 wins first. I think,
1: I don't know if like, I- I'm looking at the Charlotte Hornets roster. Okay. Let's see. They've got Terry Rozier, uh, Bismack Biyombo is somehow still in the league. Oh, Hey, Dwayne Bacon. I, I remember that guy from-, from Florida state, Marvin Williams. He's also still in the league. Uh, Miles Bridges, this is going to be a long year if you're a Charlotte Hornets fan. It's going to be a long year.
0: Oh, 100%. It's going to be be a long one. I think things you're looking forward to seeing, PJ Washington, uh, see how Rozier plays. You have Malik Monk, who's a very solid young player as he continues to grow. You need Dwayne Bacon to take a step. But, yeah, this Hornets team, this Cavaliers team, both of those rosters are going to be fighting for that bottom spot probably in the Eastern Conference when you look at the depth of talent that you have uh, in the East and where those rosters are as compared to the the guys in the top portion of that conference. But, Evan, that's going to about do it for us. Uh, Your Eastern Conference, we'll recap it real quick. Philly at one, Milwaukee at two, Toronto at three, Boston at four, Brooklyn at 5, Miami at 6, Orlando at 7, Indiana at 8. I have in the East, Philly at 1, Milwaukee at 2. We're both the same there. Then I have Boston, the 3 seed, Miami, the 4 seed, Orlando, the 5 seed, Toronto, the 6 seed, Brooklyn, the 7 seed, and Indiana as the 8 seed. In the Western Conference, you go Clippers, Nuggets, Lakers, Jazz, Rockets, Blazers, Spurs, Warriors. You have the Spurs in. I leave them out. I go Nuggets, Clippers, Rockets, Lakers, Jazz, Blazers, Warriors, Mavericks. And then we both have Giannis as the MVP. I'll take John Morant. You'll take RJ Barrett. I'll take Terrence Ross for sixth man. You will take Lou Williams. We both have Rudy Gobert. You have Markel Fultz, most improved player. I have Bam Adebayo. You have Brett Brown as the coach of the year. And I have Mike Malone at the coach of the year. I'm really excited to see how this plays out. We will post these uh, predictions on our Twitter account as well. Evan, as you mentioned at the the top, there is a lot of interesting basketball to watch this year. I think it was close to 40% of the league uh, switched teams over the course of the offseason. You've got a hell of a list of duos in the NBA when it comes to Anthony Davis, LeBron James, when it comes to James Harden and Russell Westbrook, when it comes to, uh, who else are we talking about, when it comes to the Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, when it comes to Steph and Draymond Green, Russell as well, the Clippers with Kawhi, with Paul George. There's a lot of interesting dynamics in both the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference this year. Could be one of the more exciting seasons we've seen in a long time.
1: I hope it is. I really hope it is. There's a lot of there's a lot of things to watch, a lot of teams to watch out for. And who knows, maybe we will maybe we'll see something different in the NBA finals. Maybe we could get maybe the Portland Trailblazers break through. Maybe the Houston Rockets finally get one. Maybe in the East, uh, Philadelphia, there's so many possibilities. You can talk me into almost anything, and that's what makes it so exciting now.
0: That does indeed. That's going to do it for us for this episode of the From the Booth podcast, our NBA preview. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll have another episode this week uh, covering the rest of the sports landscape, but with the NBA season kicking off in earnest tonight, you had the Raptors beat the Pelicans last night. You had the Clippers beat the Lakers last night. But pretty much all the other action kicks off tonight, kicks off tomorrow night. So this wrapping up our NBA season preview uh, portion of the From the Booth podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate it. Give us a follow on Twitter, at From the Booth Pod. Uh, To listen to the show, head over to uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere, iHeartRadio. We're on there as well. Look us up subscribe to the show, uh, give us a listen. Uh, If you're on using Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a a five-star rating, drop us a comment about how you're enjoying the show. Some of you have already done that. We are eternally grateful for that as well, and we hope that the rest of you will jump on, give us a rating, give us a, a comment. That helps us out in the rankings and all sorts of those things that I always say that I don't understand and continue to not understand how those work. Uh, that's going to do it for us, for me, Cody Clark, for my co-host, Evan Eichen, our guy, Tony Huynh, for the awesome podcast artwork, the logo to get us started. We shout him out every week in appreciation for him helping us out. And as always, for you guys listening, thank you so much for tuning in. The following has been great as we've get, as we've gotten started here with the podcast, and we hope you'll continue to listen and continue to follow along. So for Evan Eichen, I'm Cody Clark signing off for our nba preview make sure to dial us up later in the week to catch the rest of the from the booth podcast